What does it mean to be blessed? Listen in to hear some of my thoughts on the matter. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So it's just me today, and I thought I'd offer a few words on the topic of blessing. A lot could be said about it, and a lot probably will be said over the course of our time podcasting, but I happen to be studying the Gospel of Matthew with a group of guys, and we recently started studying the Sermon on the Mount, and he and Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the word blessed, uh, which he then repeats some eight or nine times to give some definition to what that word means. And as I've been reflecting upon it, I've realized that uh, on this podcast, Crystal and I have talked quite a bit about blessing. We, we quote uh, paragraph one from the Catechism from time to time, and that reads, God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at every time and in every place, God draws close to man. He calls man to seek him, to know him, to love him with all of his strength. He calls together all men, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of his family, the church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son as Redeemer and Savior. In his Son and through him, he invites men to become, in the Holy Spirit, his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. And that word, blessed, right? In a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. And I think reading paragraph one of the catechism, we could say, I would like a blessed life. I would like a better life. But then when we get to Matthew chapter five, when Jesus sort of starts outlining what blessedness looks like, I realized this is not, this is not so appealing to me. Um, for those who like to fast forward some 30 seconds or so, I'm going to read through this, the Beatitudes. So if you're very familiar with them, I can't stop you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think I'm fine with everything that comes as a result of each blessing. I'm fine with inheriting uh, um, the earth. I'm fine with uh, owning the kingdom of heaven. I'm fine with being comforted and being satisfied and obtaining mercy. I like the idea of seeing God. and I like the idea of being blessed. It's those pesky phrases in between the blessedness and the sort of result of the activity that I get a little bit put off. Because Jesus is actually talking about, about to us about confronting poverty, 
confronting our own pride, entering into conflict with peace as the aim, confronting lies, confronting injustice, confronting impurity, confronting death, and confronting loss, and being capable of being wounded by poverty and other people's pride and from the conflict around us and the lies that are uttered against us and the injustices against us and others, against uh, impurity, uh, to, to really feel loss and to feel death as a, as a reality and to mourn for those reasons. This is not, this is not the picture that I, I started to develop from paragraph one of the Catechism. It's not my idea of blessedness, and it's not something that I'm immediately saying, yes, that is what I want. I desire that, right? I can see in my heart, none of those things are things that I enter into all that readily, all that gladly, all that easily. But then I was praying with it, and I realized something about it that I feel more comfortable saying here without my wife next to me, is that, you know, it would be so wonderful if my wife lived all of these things out so well. And I thought about it, yeah, you know, if if she could meet any of my pride with meekness and overcome it, if she could enter into conflict and seek out peace, if she was able to withstand lies with grace, um, not just that I'm inflicting all of these things, I don't want people to think that I'm constantly lying at her and uh, provoking conflict or being unjust. I'm sure I do that my fair share of times, unfair share of times. But to live with somebody who is approaching the world that way and to know that when they encounter these things, they are going to choose rightly, that they're going to choose to have a pure mind and a pure heart, that they're going to choose to be uh, to, to enter into the mourning of others, to choose to seek peace, even if that may come at some cost. And so I realized that is incredibly attractive in other people. And then that was the avenue that brought me to understand, oh, this would be attractive if I could really live it, in the sense that um, uh, I watched a documentary once about how the same kind of... uh, physiological response occurs in people who are afraid of something, be it heights or uh, some other kind of scary thing, and the people who really enjoy it. They have the same basic physiological response, but one group decides to lean into it, and the other group decides to uh, be repelled by it. But it's the same basic, you know, the the, uh, falling out of the pit of one's stomach, the butterflies, the um the realization that we're walking into something potentially dangerous or something that is uncertain that the people who walk into it aren't feeling something different than the people who run away from it they're just choosing to do it for other reasons and i realized i would like to be such a man a man of beatitude who would seek the kingdom of god who would seek Uh, to live a life according to truth, regardless of the lies around me, to live a life where I can enter into conflict and desire true peace and not just the papering over of conflict, where I can acknowledge death and loss and grieve with people rather than be distant from these things. And, And 
that's when it occurred to me that this life of beatitude that Jesus is proposing is what joy looks like in a fallen world. So when God becomes man and enters into the fallen order of things, this is what divine life, this is what divine charity looks like in response to the brokenness of the world. And this is the reason to engage in the brokenness around us. This is a reason to not disengage. This is a reason to um, to seek out the the blessing that God wants to give us if we really are living life fully, where we're not holding back, where we're not saying, okay, that was my limit, that was my comfort zone. God is actually calling us out of our comfort zone. Everything about these Beatitudes are uncomfortable. Everything about these Beatitudes calls us out of ourselves. Everything about these Beatitudes is saying that there's a world larger than us, and we're called to live in it and respond to it. And so to know that that is not only what Jesus preached, that is also how Jesus lived and continues to live, that he is walking into the brokenness of others and calling it out for what it is. When the woman at the well goes back to her village in Samaria, she says, he told me everything that I've ever done. Right, And this is a woman who is filled with brokenness. This is a woman who has made, made many bad decisions in her life. And Jesus doesn't ignore any of them. He addresses each of them. And when they're fully addressed, she then has the freedom to re-enter the society of that village, the society of which she had pulled back from, which is indicated by the fact that she's coming in the middle of the day, which is not a good day to draw water. Right, Jesus is constantly walking into contentious and uh, impoverished and conflict-ridden and lie-obscuring situations. And he's not just providing a model for us. He's actually telling us, if we do this, we're not going to do it alone. He will be with us. He's given us his spirit. He says he will be with us till the end of the age. This is not something to allow our fear to dictate our action right this is he he's painting a picture of how not to be overwhelmed by brokenness but to be overwhelmed by blessing and this is a theme that he picks up on again and again right uh in matthew 25 uh the separation of the sheep from the goats the sheep are the ones who are willing to enter into the brokenness of those around them they're the ones who will respond rightly when there's something wrong going on in the world. It's not like the goats never saw anyone who was in need. It's that they saw and then chose not to act, right? And the Catechism talks about this life of beatitude. It says in paragraph 1723, which, if you think about it, it, it took roughly 1,700 uh, paragraphs to go from God invited us into his own blessed life, and then to talk about what that life in Christ is actually about, which is so fascinating because that life of Christ is only made possible through the revelation of God uh, in scripture and in apostolic tradition, and uh, is only possible through the gift of grace through the sacraments. So the first section of the catechism going through the profession of faith, that which has been divinely revealed, the second section of the Catechism is the sacramental life. 
It's only after those two that the life in Christ will actually make sense and be possible to undertake. And it says in paragraph 1723 of the Catechism, the beatitude we are promised confronts us with decisive moral choices. It invites us to purify our hearts of bad instincts and to seek the love of God above all else. It teaches us that true happiness is not found in riches or well-being, in human fame or power, or in any human achievement, however beneficial it may be, such as science, technology, and art, or indeed in any creature, but in God alone, the source of every good and of all love. And then here's a quote from St. John Henry Newman, quote, all bow down before wealth. And when I say quote from John Henry Newman, it's quoted in paragraph 1723. All bow down before wealth. Wealth is that to which the multitude of men pay an instinctive homage. They measure happiness by wealth, and by wealth they measure respectability. It is a homage resulting from a profound faith that with wealth he may do all things. Wealth is one idol of the day, and notoriety is a second. Notoriety, or the making of a noise in the world, and may be called newspaper fame, has come to be considered a great good in itself and a ground of veneration. I think it's so interesting. That's the end of the quote, by the way. I think it's so interesting that John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman, is talking about uh, how we would rather live our lives. We would rather be seeking after wealth and fame. And the catechism pairs this with a discussion of beatitude, which is saying it's not about wealth or fame. It's about purifying our hearts of bad instincts and to seek the love of God above all else. We are presented with decisive moral choices. Choices that mean something, right? That that are not just empty choices. They're choices that either allow other people into our lives and allow us to enter into other people's lives um, or shut us out from other people, right? This is uh, an embrace of vulnerability an embrace of, right, so vulnerability, it means literally capable of being wounded. Vulnus in Latin is wound, right? So we're capable of being wounded, and this is a result of the fall, and this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not want to save us around the fall or or above the fall or under the fall. It's through the fall, it's through entering into the reality of, of all that is broken around us that true blessedness might come about. So I just wanted to offer those few words. I think it's a fascinating um, portrait of not only Jesus in these Beatitudes, uh, but of every saint and of what we actually do long for. I find that when I pull back from people, when I when I see an opening to, to enter a little bit more deeply and I pull back, that there's less joy and less happiness. But when I truly enter into uh, communion with others, when I truly enter into fellowship with others, when I'm truly open to whatever is going to happen next, without having a spirit of control, but rather a spirit of surrender to God, who is a loving Father, that there is joy and happiness. And my heart longs for joy and happiness, but my heart has also been been conditioned to not see how any of these things, poverty, pride, conflict, lies, injustice, impurity, death, loss, how any of these things 
might lead to happiness, right? It's an education of the heart out of the short-term solutions and out of the kinds of cowardice or capriciousness that I may be prone to and a calling into a life that is larger than myself. And that's one of the exciting thing, things about the Beatitudes. It's entering into small things. It's entering into dusty and dirty things. It's entering into hard things and complicated things and emotional things and conflict-ridden things. But this is the stuff of life. And Jesus is saying, I, I want you to be living with me in this world that I have created. I know that it's fallen. I know exactly where it's fallen. I know where people will struggle the most. And I'm calling you to meet me there in that struggle, in your own struggle and in the struggle of others. Jesus is calling us to be present, to be attentive, to be sensitive to, and to be vulnerable to the world around us. And if we do this, this is actually how we will present Christ in words and in deeds in the world. And that's about all I have to say about that today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mother Mary, you who lived out a life of beatitude with your Son, you who call all of us to be like him and to do as he says, intercede for us, help us to be more like your Son. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 